0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it's in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Holy Spirit, come. We pray in the name of Jesus. We ask you, Heavenly Father, for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit to come upon us here this afternoon spirit of the living god fall afresh on us spirit of the living god fall afresh on us spirit of the living god fall afresh on us we love you holy spirit we need you we welcome you here and we have great expectations for your work here this afternoon and tonight On each and every day of our lives, we need you because without you we can do nothing. And we believe that the risen Lord Jesus wants to live his life through us and with us and in us. And for that we need you in a particular way. Help us, Holy Spirit, to have the mind of Christ to have the eyes and the heart of Christ, to have the ears of Christ and the hands and the feet of Christ. Help us to speak the words of Jesus so that we can give life, so that we can build up Mother Mary, we crown you the queen of our meditation this afternoon as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So let's continue. With mercy, and we'll meditate on the prodigal son. Just a few short thoughts from the 40 Weeks book on mercy. In Latin, the primary word for mercy is misericordia, which is a combination of two root words, miseria, misery, and cordia, which is heart. So misericordia, so to have a literal meaning of that is a heart that is able to embrace someone else's misery. You can think of it that way, mercy, to have a merciful heart is to have a heart that, it, that can embrace someone else's misery. And your own misery, for that matter. <laughs> because as it, says, as it says here, oftentimes the person we have the most difficulty forgiving and feeling compassion for is ourselves. This is why we need to receive compassion first from Jesus. If we believe that Jesus forgives us for our sins and has compassion for our misery, then we too can forgive ourselves and have compassion for ourselves in the areas of our suffering. As we receive this gift from Jesus, we are enabled to give it freely to those around us. This is how we become with Jesus the face of the Father's mercy. This is how Pope Francis refers to Jesus as the face of the Father's mercy because he fully reveals the Father's compassionate and forgiving heart. Beautiful. There's some steps here in the book. I'm not going to run through them all right now, but I'll take pictures of all of these steps that Bob shoots and Sister Miriam in particular tend to walk people through. If you're having trouble forgiving yourself or somebody else, these steps might, might help. They list 13 different steps for forgiving somebody, so it's pretty thorough. So I'll do that later. Let's go to the Word of God. Let's go to the word of God. So important. If you don't have that daily habit of being in the word, that would be a great takeaway from this retreat as well. To be in the word every day. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that falls to me. And he divided his living between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took his journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in loose living. So I'm sure you've all heard many talks on this gospel. But it's good just to highlight some of these Images that Jesus is trying to paint here. The fact that the younger son said to his father, give me the share of my inheritance. That was the equivalent of saying, drop dad. Drop dad, I really don't want anything to do with you. Jesus is just telling a story. It's just a a parable. So you can... Just imagine why people leave home like that, why people would say those things. And I think as we get more into this parable, we can have even greater clues, perhaps. And when he had spent everything, a great famine arose in that country, and he began to be in want. So he goes to this far country, again, that signifies the separation and the isolation that sin can bring about when it goes unchecked, when it goes unrepented. And then this famine comes up. And he began to be in want, in need. So it's interesting here what's going on. So he went and joined himself to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed swine. So for a Jewish crowd, this would have been like, ooh, you know, <laughs> that's the worst of the worst, man. Doesn't get any worse than that. Talk about rock bottom. You know, that's what all the the Jewish dudes would have been thinking. And he would gladly have fed on the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. Just desperation. Just pure desperation. But when he came to himself, he came to himself, so that's, A part of this healing process is just getting back in touch with yourself. It's a homecoming. It's a homecoming. Maybe I'll read you. I wrote a little poetic essay on homecoming. Maybe I'll share that. But it's it's really important that we invite these parts of us back home, so to speak. Because Jesus doesn't hate any part of you. And as you're reaching out to other people, as you're ministering to other people, it's important to communicate that to them. That God doesn't hate any part of them. They They might hate a part of themselves, but that's not from God. God doesn't hate any part of them. God doesn't hate any part of you. How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? But I perish here with hunger. So God allows us to feel this hunger, this thirst, this need, this ache. And that's for him. That's an ache, that's a longing for him. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. That's all true. He doesn't really deserve to be allowed back in the father's house. Strictly speaking, from, a, from the point of view of justice. From the point of view of justice, he doesn't deserve to be allowed back into the Father's house. And that's true of all of us. From a strictly justice point of view, looking at it strictly from the point of view of justice, we don't deserve to be allowed into heaven. And there's nothing that we could do that would, somehow make that otherwise. And that's why another nuance of mercy is, please don't treat me the way I deserve to be treated, as we said the other day. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was yet at a distance, his father saw him, saw him. Oh, we all just want to be seen, especially those parts of us that have been exiled so to speak. And when you're ministering to other people who have these exiled parts, they just want to be seen with compassion. His father saw him and had compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The son didn't even say anything yet. And the father was just moved. The father couldn't help himself. The father couldn't hold back. He just wanted his son back. That's all he wanted. That's all he wants. That's all God wants. He just wants us back. Close. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. True statement. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and make merry. For the son for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. The father's restoring his dignity. He is fully embracing him and welcoming him back into his house. Back into the fold, back into the family. The father wouldn't have it any other way. And that's how the father treats us. That's why Jesus is telling this parable. Because he wants us to get a sense of how he feels about us of how he and the Father and the Holy Spirit think about us and how they feel about us. You know, we've said that, I think we heard it the other day, maybe on one of those talks, but it bears repeating right here that we have this God-sized hole in our hearts that God put there, right? That eros, that longing for truth, goodness, and beauty that we all have. So there's this God-sized hole in our hearts. And as St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. But in becoming a man, get this, Jesus has a hole in his heart that has your shape. So he has a Jason-sized hole in his heart for me. And he has a hole in his heart with your name on it. So he has this longing, this eros, this passionate desire for you. And his heart is incomplete without it. His heart is incomplete without it. He is not satisfied until he has you in his heart. Until he has you there, holding you tight. If you like dogs, maybe you would like the the poem, The Hound of Heaven. If you've never prayed with The Hound of Heaven, It's a famous poem about God. You can look that up, the hound of heaven, describing how Jesus pursues us, the hound of heaven. So the new robe, the new ring, the new shoes, all this new stuff, it's a sign of the Father restoring his son's dignity. And that's what happens when we go to confession. The old clothes are thrown out. All the tattered, stained clothes thrown away. And boom, get a new wardrobe. Get a new dress or whatever you like. Something brand new. No stains, no rips, no tears. And on top of that, he kills the fatted calf to throw a party. celebrates. He celebrates our homecoming. And maybe you just need to let the Lord speak that truth to you, that he celebrates your homecoming. Every time you come into his presence, He celebrates your presence. He loves to be with you. And it's as if he just closes everything, calls up his secretary, and says, Cancel all my appointments. Gail's here. We're going to talk now. (laughs) And he puts everything else aside, and he's just there, fully present fully present, no distractions, no distractions. You're his only distraction. (laughs) He delights in you. He loves to be with you. He loves to spend time with you. Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what this meant. So if if the father's house is a picture of heaven, let's see, there's music and dancing and lots of food. Just saying. It's the word of God, I don't know. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. Notice, the father had to go out for both for both boys. They were out of the house for two different reasons. One, you might say, was the more rebellious type, but then you got the goody two shoes over here. <laughs> who's not in the house either? Take note. Right? The goody two-shoes, the rule follower is not in the house either. The father had to go out to him. But he answered his father. You can just kind of, mm, mm. behold, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your living with harlots, you killed for him the fatted calf. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. St. Therese loved that line. St. Therese, little flower loved that line. And, And for her, even though it's being addressed to the older son, she's just taking the word of God for its, you know, like, at at its letter there, right? And she's like, hey, this is giving me permission to just take whatever I want. (laughs) Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. That's a beautiful promise. That's a beautiful statement. It was fitting to make Mary and be glad for this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So that's, that's the heart of our God. Jesus was painting a, a portrait, you could say, of the heart of God by telling this parable and the, the two previous parables, that whole chapter 15 of Luke's gospel includes the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the prodigal son. All of these parables of mercy. And let me just read the punchlines from those other two parables. So Luke 15, 7, Jesus says, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then the punchline from the, next, the lost coin is verse 10. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So, divine mercy, divine mercy has this celebratory component to it. This joy that God gets (laughs) when he welcomes back one of his brothers and sisters or sons and daughters that was lost, that was dead. You know, if someone's really steeped in sin, and it's like their soul is dead. And, and to see them come back to life as a priest, I'm, you know, I have a very privileged perspective sometimes and you know, to see this happen. I'll never forget my first Holy Week as a priest. So I'd I'd been a priest for, what, five, six months. My first Holy Week, because I was ordained in November. And uh, we were doing family missions in Chicago. And I just, in Chicago, they have this tradition. Maybe they have it here in Detroit, too. On Holy Thursday night, you travel around with fellow parishioners in a bus, typically. They'd rent a bus, and you would visit seven churches and they're their altars of repose. And you would just stop and pray for a few minutes at each of these different churches. And the church where I was assigned for the missions was a rather famous church because they considered it the last country church in the archdiocese of Chicago, which meant that it had a few acres of green around it. <laughs> yeah. But it was surrounded by suburbs. And it was a small, quaint little church up on a hill. It still had a cemetery right outside of it. And so it was a rather popular church for Holy Thursday night. And I asked the pastor, I said, can I just sit in the confessional all night? And he's like, yeah, it's okay with me. So I just sat there in the confessional for like three or four hours and the light, the little light was on, you know? And so one busload after another for hours just came by and people really weren't expecting it. So a lot of people took advantage that, you know, probably hadn't been in a while. And it was just, wow. You know, to hear and just to witness, you know, God's mercy at work like that, it was, it was beautiful. And so, yeah, there's another cool story, too. Uh, this, so it's amazing, you know, how you find out sometimes about these graces years later or how God uses you years later. But I was helping out with a, a spiritual exercises, a Regnum Christi Spiritual Exercises about about 10 years ago, 9, 10 years ago in Atlanta. And uh, this woman dragged her college daughter along to the retreat. And I didn't know that, but I'm telling you now what I know because this daughter has talked to me since then. She reached out to me in the last year. And she said, yeah, I came to confession with you, Father Jason, and I thought you were going to throw me out. I was so scared. She didn't know me, of course, right? But she said, as I was giving her absolution, this ball of light engulfed me. And she said, I saw the face of Jesus while you were giving me absolution. And she said, that confession changed my life. And she became a a focus missionary for six years. So this girl did like a 180, (laughs) totally. Turned her life around, and now she's uh, she's the one who invited me down to Saint Leo University in uh, in Florida a few weeks ago to to preach to the college students there because she's a campus minister there now. So, divine mercy, so beautiful. Let's read this little reflection here from Father Watson. Jesus' mission was to end death's reign by the forgiveness of our sins. When we allow ourselves to encounter Jesus as divine physician, redeemer, and God's mercy for our own sins and failings, we are truly meeting him. In surrendering our sinfulness to Jesus, who alone can forgive us, we are giving Christ Jesus a gift of great significance. Really? In this act... We are truly accepting the reason he lived, died, and rose again. What a great insight. Our sins are actually a gift to God. Our sins are a gift to God when we confess them with trust in his mercy. It's because it's the reason he came. Remember our song from this morning? I came for your story, I came for your wounds to show you what love sees when love sees you. Hand me the pieces broken and bruised, and I'll show you what love sees when love sees you. Isn't that beautiful? So that's great preparation, Teresa, for the kids for confession. Just tell them, yeah, your sins are like a gift to Jesus when you go to confession. There is no greater gift he wants to give to us than to forgive us our sins. And we should not delay in daily offering our weaknesses and sins to him for his mercy. St. Ignatius wanted us to feel the depths of our sinfulness so we would know why we need a savior and why we can't save ourselves. St. Therese of Lisieux learned to trust God and would scour her life daily to see what new pattern of sin and failing she could offer to God for mercy and healing. So she would get excited about new sins because it's like a new gift I can give to Jesus. Goody. I know, right? (laughs) We spend far too much... I'm not saying you do, but this is Father Bill writing. We spend far too much time justifying our sins and failings, and in doing so, we waste the precious gift of mercy. We must overcome our tendency to justify our sins and instead learn to throw ourselves on God's mercy. Pope Francis said in his very first Sunday Angelus message, God never tires of forgiving us. We get tired of asking God for forgiveness. That's true in some cases. Ask to know your sins and failings. Then ask the divine physician to heal you and forgive you. This is why we daily come to the Lord Jesus in our sacred story prayer and ask for his mercy. Lord Jesus, wake us up. Help us to stop justifying our sins and instead come to you for mercy so our lives and all our thoughts, words, and deeds are shaped by your creation, presence, memory, mercy, and eternity. Amen.